Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This is episode 354, and we're talking about our top tips for travel days. Here we are. There's nothing like a day when you wake up far too early in the morning, feeling kind of nauseous because, you know, you've woken up far too early, and you're looking at 20 to 36 hours worth of trains, planes, taxis to get to where you need to go. Yeah, we're thinking specifically of those days when you have to catch a flight. So, you know, you get up in the morning and you have to get a taxi to the airport or a train or maybe a bus and then a train or maybe a taxi and then a bus and a train. And then you get on the flight and then you arrive and it's a new destination and you have to work out how to get to your hotel or couch surfing place or Airbnb or whatever. And you need to either get a transfer or hop on the metro in an unfamiliar country, maybe in an unfamiliar language, maybe with a currency you don't have any of. All of this kind of fun thing. So we wanted to put together some top tips for transit days to help you stay sane in transit because we know that on these days you're often jet lagged or really tired for all or part of the journey. And we just wanted to put together some ideas for how it can be a little bit better. This week finds us in Barcelona, where we're looking after four little, adorable, and quite noisy dogs. So you might hear them at times in the background of the show. Yeah, they're so small. We're not used to these little, tiny dogs. They're all kind of ankle height. And uh, all of them together make up one, what I would regard as regular-sized dog, but they are very, very cute. They are, absolutely. And uh, yeah, while we've been here, it's been good. We've managed to meet up with the Performance Foundry staff member, Ricardo. Uh, Performance Foundry's our other company where we do WordPress website development and hosting for companies around the world. So that was really good. Met up, walked around the park, went down to the beach, came back up towards the center of town and had some dinner. So yeah. nice day. We also met up with Mindy and Daryl of Two Food Trippers when we were in Athens, which was really fun. They're uh, travel bloggers and also Performance Foundry clients. So it was really good to catch up with them, spend some time, have some coffee, and talk about travel. But the most delicious thing we did was the Context food tour that we did in Athens. Oh, that was so awesome. We really love Context because they do small group tours, maximum of six people. In this, and in this case, there were four of us, us and a Panamanian couple. Our docent took us around all these little places, a little cafe and into a market and into a little taverna that we would never have found. It didn't have a sign. And just really cool to eat real Greek food with a real Greek person and, I don't know, interact with locals while eating the local food. Yeah, it was neat because it was kind of alongside and in some of the more touristy areas of the city, but it was places that I wouldn't have gone into or looked at, and that's where we had the best experience. So it was great. Yeah. Now, while we had a relatively straightforward transit day from Athens to Barcelona, not everything went quite to plan. Yeah, I think that's pretty much par for the course with transit days. So we'll tell you a little bit more about our trip from Athens to Barcelona uh, later on the podcast. But first of all, this episode of the Indie Travel Podcast is sponsored by Autoslash, which is great for getting the best deals on car rentals. Yeah, they take your information, including any memberships or frequent flyer points or other bonuses that you have, put it all into the system to find the lowest rate for you on this trip. And another thing they do is they keep on tracking the search even after you've made your booking. So if they find a lower rate, they'll email you so you can get a better deal. Nice. So it's like kind of price protection on your rental. Go to autoslash.com and give it a try for yourself. So let's talk about our top tips for transit days. I think the best transit day starts in advance. 
Well, maybe even further in advance than I've made notes for. I mean, one thing that we always try to do these days is not book flights really early in the morning. When we were talking to Ricardo the other day, he was saying, oh no, we got up at four o'clock because his flight was at six, you know, and of course Portugal's one hour behind Spain. So it was even earlier. We try not to do that. We try to book flights kind of the best time for us is from midday to three o'clock because then we've got a nice long, slow morning to get to the airport. Then we fly and then we've usually got time at the other end to get to where we're going. So the very best top tip is to think about your flight before you even book it. Of course, if you're an early morning person, then yeah, booking that early flight makes sense because the earlier it is in the day, the less likely your flight's going to be impacted by delays caused by other flights. So if you're what I like to call a normal person and and like to sleep in the morning, then yeah, do, do your thing. For us, we've definitely found that if we have to get up and get out early, it ruins the whole day. So we'd rather kind of avoid or write off that day and just call it transit rather than uh, try and get up early in order to arrive sometime in the morning because we can't enjoy that day Mm. if we do that. It also depends on your holiday, what you're doing, how much time you have. If you're only going away for a weekend, then you might need that early flight or a late flight after work. So considering this kind of thing is an important thing to do right when you're booking your trip. But that's not really the focus of this podcast. The focus is actually on the day or the night before. So the night before, we really recommend you do some pre-trip checks. First of all, make sure you have your passport and that it's valid for travel. Check in online if you can and check on any airline quirks. It seems like every airline these days is different. Some include a meal, some don't, some charge for it, some give you free coffee, some include a bag, some don't. Some charge you to carry a carry-on bag on board, some don't. Have a look into the airline you're flying with and make sure you understand exactly what it is that you've you've signed up for. It's also a good time to double check for visa requirements, uh, especially if you've booked kind of three months or further in advance because things may have changed in that time. So double check. And if there was that extra piece of paper that you needed or that extra form you needed to fill out, it's much less stressful to go and gather it the day before rather than when you're at the airport going, ah. Yeah. I should have known this. I should have done this the day before we tried to travel to Ukraine because, you know, I thought New Zealanders could just go to Ukraine without a without a visa. I thought that Ukraine had changed their visa requirements, but they hadn't. I didn't do this pre-trip check. Got on the train, and then as I was on the train, I just thought, oh, can I get in? And I, I somehow managed to get some data on my phone, managed to connect to the internet, and found out that no. No, New Zealanders are not allowed into Ukraine without a visa. And so I was unceremoniously bundled off the train, uh, taken by car by somebody back to the border because we'd already crossed the border. Spent oh, a couple of hours in a very, very cold immigration center and then was sent back to Moldova. So yeah, if I had done this, I certainly wouldn't have had this great story to tell, but I would have had a few more days in Ukraine. <laughs> I guess less dramatic than that is I'm thinking about that same year we were going to do a house sit in the UK and the couple were flying from the UK down to Australia. They got to the airport and were denied boarding because they hadn't filled out an electronic form for pre-approval. So it's an automatic visa on arrival if you had filled out this form and their airline hadn't told them about it or they hadn't seen the the note about it if it had been sent. And so they were denied boarding and had to 
make some very expensive last minute flight changes. Yeah. And the thing was the previous time they'd gone to Australia, they hadn't needed this visa. They managed to get there. Their trip wasn't delayed, but yes, it was a very, very stressful time for them. The funniest one I remember was years and years ago when I dropped you, Linda, and our colleague Matt off at the airport. You're going over to Australia to run a uh, teaching camp. Mm -hmm. So I dropped you both at the airport. And Matt, as we walked into the airline terminal, I was saying goodbye. And Matt was doing the Australian haka. He was he was checking his top pockets. He was checking his trouser pockets. He was checking the back. He was checking inside his jacket pocket. He was going through his bag. He was getting more and more flustered. And we were kind of looking at this and going, well, what, what's up, Matt? All okay? <laughs> and he had left his passport at home, which gave us, I think we needed to do like a 45-minute round trip in about 35 minutes in order for him to, to get there and, and board and get on the plane. It was just so good that you hadn't left already because if you had, I mean, yeah, getting in touch with you, you wouldn't have answered your phone because you would have been driving. It just would have been terrible. But luckily, he didn't live too far from the airport. Craig could take him in take him home, pick up the passport, bring him back, and we still managed to check it on time. But yeah, that was a bit of a stress. Definitely. So, hey, make sure you know that you're allowed in the country, fill out any pre-arrival paperwork, get copies of anything you might need. Sometimes you need things like medical certificates for immunizations, all that kind of stuff, whatever you need. Check all that out the day before and double check it the day before, even if you think you know what's going on. And then make sure you've got all of that and your passport or uh, identity document with you. Yes, definitely. So before you leave your accommodation, so here we are actually on the transit day. Before you leave the house, Imagine the whole journey from here to there, from your accommodation where you are right now to where you're going to end your journey, which is likely to also be accommodation. So if you're going to the airport, how are you getting to the airport? Is there some sort of transfer you need to get to? Which terminal are you going to? At the airport, well, you'll be getting on the plane. Once you arrive in your destination, how are you getting from the airport to your destination? Do you have a transfer booked? Are you going to be traveling by public transport? If you're traveling by public transport, do you have currency to use that public transport? Are you going to use a credit card? Think of all these things. So imagine exactly the process of what you're going to be doing. So I think that visualization is really, really helpful. Some quick tips for that. Make sure you save your route offline in case you don't have internet access. If you're traveling with a travel partner, make sure you both have the information. Consider how much time do you want to allow for the queue at the airport, so how early or how late can you afford to leave. Using tools like Google Maps or City Mapper can be really, really helpful, but don't be reliant on the phone and the internet connection. So maybe take some screenshots, maybe transfer to paper notes, and you might also want to check that terminal because there's been every time we go to an airport as we're driving up taxi driver or as we're walking through the uh, public transport intersections, all of a sudden we'll be going, oh, what terminal do we need to go to? And scrabbling to make that last minute decision. So not only the airport, but the terminal. It's very helpful. Yeah. And if you're hiring a car, where is the car rental place? Is it actually right beside the airport? When we flew to Paris recently, it was so great because it was literally within the terminal. But other times, like Christchurch Airport, you actually have to catch a little shuttle to go to the car rental place. Is the shuttle included? Do you have to take a taxi? Think about this kind of thing. 
Okay, the next thing to consider is to pack for your journey. Now, I'm sure you've already done most of your packing already, but also think about the actual journey. For example, I like to have a small day bag with me that has essentials in it, like, I don't know, a warm jumper, some food, a bottle of water. You also need to think about things like making sure your laptop and liquids are in a place in your bag that are easy to remove. So we travel with carry-on size bags only, which means we have everything with us, which means we have to travel with small liquids in the plastic bag. It's very annoying. But uh, we also have to think about removing our laptop to go through the scanners and removing those liquids. If they're packed right at the bottom of the bag, that's really inconvenient. Yeah, definitely. They're always some of the last things to pack. So they're up near the top of the bag. And so, yeah, when you hit security, it's just a, a zip away to reach in and grab them. Just makes life so much easier rather than realizing you have to hold up a queue, an ever-growing queue behind you while you dig through to find, you know, your toiletries bag. Yeah, and one thing we've noticed recently is more and more airlines are starting to gate check bags. So we've got the full-size carry-on bag, and we like to keep that with us. But when we went from Athens to Barcelona, when we were checking in, they said, oh, that bag, we'll probably have to check it in. And I said, oh, well, I really don't want to check it in because we've got kind of a tight connection when we get to Barcelona. I don't want to have to wait for it. the carousel. She said, well, you probably have to. And I said, okay, well, give me five minutes while I repack my bag. And she said, oh, just, just wait, and if they ask you to do it at the gate, then you'll have to check it in. I said, okay. Oh, and also we recently booked flights with Ryanair and uh, they wanted to charge us extra for the convenience of not being gate checked. So we paid an extra five euros so that we knew that we could carry our bags on, on board with us instead of having them gate checked. So that's something to consider. If there is a possibility that the airline will gate check your bag, so take it from you at the gate and put it in the hold, you might want to have a plan for what you want to take out of that bag to put into your day bag. We have a small stuffed down backpack that is perfect for the situation. We pull it out and we can just throw a few things in it. So what will you put in that? For example, all your valuables, your laptop, anything like that. Yeah, it was quite interesting, this trip from Athens through to Barcelona, because the first thing that we encountered on the trip was that we were going to go by metro. So we're going to use the subway system to get into the airport. And there's a direct connection, which is awesome. But Athens has a reputation that rivals Barcelona and Paris for pickpocketing. And just the day before, I think, we were speaking with Daryl, who had had his phone stolen out of his front pocket while seated on the subway. Now, that is a pretty impressive act of pickpocketing. Spectacular. And so we were really aware of our kind of personal security. What happened? Well, the trousers that I have from Bluffworks, they have zip pockets. So that was good. Phone went in one wallet went in the other. They got zipped up. Good. Nothing's going out of the pockets. And then everything goes into the bag and the bag gets locked. And this is where the one bag rule comes in super handy. Now, for me at the moment, it's a little bit difficult with my uh, broken arm and it's actually easier for me to, to handle and carry two lighter bags rather than one combined. So I had a, a satchel as well as a backpack. Uh, Linda got all of her stuff into her bag. Everything's locked up. So we've got the fewest possible things to keep an eye on. Mm. And so being aware of that personal area network, if you're on public transport or if you're in a place which is known to have taxi scams where taxis will drive off with your bags in the boot, 
then it's a very good idea to limit the amount of stuff that you need to keep an eye on and uh, use mechanical tricks like locking your bags, zipping up pockets to make sure that you have less to worry about. Definitely. So in this case, I didn't have a separate day bag. I put everything into my one bag. And then when I got to the airport, I kind of repacked things so that I had my small bag to take on the plane with me. So yeah, you might have to do a bit of triage to rearrange things as part of your journey. Well, one way to avoid those kinds of issues with being worried about public transport is to pick up a rental car. And this episode of the Indie Travel Podcast is sponsored by Autoslash.com. Yeah, picking up or dropping off a rental car can be an important part of a transit day. And Autoslash takes some of the stress out of it by making sure that you're not paying too much. Go to autoslash.com and check out their How It Works page. It has a great overview of what makes them different. And one of the major things they do is to search hundreds of coupons and discount codes for all of the rental companies to help you find the lowest rate possible. Yeah, they include your membership affiliations and discounts in the search. So it could be discounts for members of the AAA, Costco, AARP, uh, credit cards, or various frequent flyer programs that are free to sign up for. So all of that work gets done for you, for your trip, with your memberships, so you get the best rates for free. Check out autoslash.com. Okay, so we've talked about being prepared, checking your visas, checking your passport, making your plan for travel, and packing. Another thing that we recommend you do is to have a game plan for easy transit. So think about if you're traveling with a friend or as a couple, or if you're traveling alone, how are you going to deal with things? For example, where will you keep your documents? If you're traveling as a couple, is one person going to hold on to it? Or is it just, are you going to keep your own? Yeah, where are they going to go? Because you're going to be pulling your passport and boarding pass out several times during the day. So are you going to keep them in a particular part of your bag? Are you going to keep them in a pocket? Where's that going to go? And you might go, Craig, you're overthinking this. But no, it's really much less stressful to have one place for these documents to go and for them to keep on being there all of the time. So just subconsciously, you're always aware that that's where they are, and you never have to do that flustered check mm. uh, to, you know, to pull things out. Yeah, that feeling of, where is it? Oh my goodness, it's a horrible feeling. So if they're always in the same place on transit days, it really helps. So for example, in our situation, I usually look after the passports on non-transit days. They go in a certain part of my bag. And then when we're traveling, Craig puts them in his top shirt pocket. And that's where they they live for the whole of the day. So that's really helpful. And it's a small thing you can do to take a little bit of stress out. Something else, decide which of your bags are going in the hold or under the bus or getting checked in and which you're keeping with you. And that actually helps with your packing, as we've discussed, Mm. deciding what's going to go in which of them. There is always a chance you're carrying something a little bit strange or unusual in your carry-on. Now, I'm not talking about dangerous or illegal. I just talk about something a little bit odd, like... Like dolmades. Dolmades. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in this case, we had a little can of dolmades. We'd picked them up for dinner one night and we decided not to eat them, so we decided to bring them with us. I'd thought about this. I knew that dolmades could be a bit of a strange thing when going through security, so I'd left them at the top of my bag and was prepared to answer questions, then I probably forgot about it. So we went through the scanner, and as predicted, my bag was pulled aside, and the security person asked me to open my bag, opened it, and he pulled out this bright yellow bag that I'd put the can in. And I said, oh, yeah, it's Dolmades. Ah, Dolmades, that's fine, and just put it back in my bag, and I moved on with my life. It was quite funny. 
but I, I, I was aware that it could have been an issue because, you know, the definition of liquid, it's quite a fluid definition, isn't it? Uh, thank you, Linda. Yeah. That was a, no. <laughs> so, yeah, I, the Dolmades do have a bit of liquid in the can, but I, I wouldn't class it as a, a gel or a paste, but very delicious. So unexpectedly, I got pulled aside once for a pretty thorough set of bomb checks, not mm. just the one-off swab, but like several swabs and checks. And what had happened was I'd left my laptop out charging on the kitchen table overnight and uh, our friend had come along as part of the cleanup of the house, had sprayed furniture polish over the top of the table and wiped it down. Now, the, the chemicals in that furniture polish were uh, attached to my laptop, and that was setting off every sensor that Heathrow had. So that was a little bit problematic and not really something you could game plan for. But it was good to be able to think through the last few days and be able to track down the unusual thing that had happened and then be able to discuss that in a calm and rational way when you're under the stress of, I have 45 minutes to get to my gate and I've been talking to security for 10 now and talking to security for 10 is probably a bit of a problem. So yeah, having tricky conversations and making difficult decisions is actually one of the most important things you're going to do on a transit day. Yeah, there's always going to be something that you have to explain. You might forget to take your belt off as you go through security, and then you just have to go, oh, yes, take my belt off. What could it be that's that's sitting off the scanner? You might have left a set of scissors in your bag, and you have to throw it away. You might have forgotten to take out that nice bottle of perfume, and that gets thrown away. Be prepared for this kind of thing. You can't plan in advance for it. It's the kind of thing that just comes up on the day, and you do need to deal with it. But one tip we do use is if one of us is tired or unwell or just, you know, plain out of it, not having a good day, we agree that the other person is going to be in charge. The other person is going to make the decisions. The other person is going to kind of drive conversations, drive directions, drive everything. And the tired person then, and this is probably the important bit for couples, the person that's tired doesn't complain about the decisions that were made. Yeah, which in my case is mostly around price. So say, for example, I'm the tired one and Craig's in charge and he says, right, we're going to take a taxi from the airport to the hotel. Even if we'd planned before to go by public transport, he decided that maybe we're both a bit tired to deal with getting the currency out, doing a currency conversion, buying the tickets, working out the system. He says, no, we're going to take a taxi. I'm not allowed to complain that the taxi was more expensive than we like to pay for transit days. That's the deal. Absolutely. Yeah, it just helps when things do go sideways. If someone is a bit tired or a bit groggy, then it's really helpful just to have that kind of pre-sorted. And so it all comes back to having that game plan. If you are having a bad day, are you happy to kind of give the other person responsibility and then absolve them of any blame or anything that you would have done differently had you been making those decisions? Yeah. Now, another thing to consider if you are hiring a car or dropping off a car, to think about if you're traveling as a couple, who's going to be filling in the forms, who's going to be doing this discussion kind of thing. And of course, remember, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, to make sure to do a thorough check of the car before you drive it away. We recommend making a video of the car for any issues, scratches, that kind of thing. It's just an extra insurance policy. 
Yeah, it's good to do a full walk around and to kind of point out on the video any scratches or scuffs or all of that kind of stuff that can come back and bite you after you drop the car back off again. And of course, with driving a car in a foreign country, do look up the road rules in advance. Look out for strange motorway tolls and mm. different fines you have to pay or different taxes you have to pay. Learn the intersection rules. And if you're driving on the other side of the road, constantly remind yourself of it and get your travel partner to constantly remind you as well every yeah. time you get behind the wheel. Definitely. We've found that especially not the first time you get behind the wheel, but the second time. So when you pick up the car, you're likely to remember to drive on the correct side of the road. But if you stop for a coffee and then get back in the car, sometimes you'll forget. So yeah, always remember to ask for help. If you're at the car hire place, ask questions, ask about strange road rules, ask if they have a, a one-page sheet, cheat sheet for all of the road rules you might want to, to know about. And be prepared for issues. Mm -hmm. uh, the biggest stressor around transit is a feeling of powerlessness. Mm. And there's so many things that you're relying on that are completely outside of your control. And most of them, to be honest, for most trips, come down to an issue of time. It's the traffic jam when you're on your way to the airport. It's uh, what happened to us as we flew up here, the check-in system not working. Mm. So we're all getting more and more worried as, as we get closer and closer to the takeoff time and no one's been processed for the flight yet. Are they going to be able to process it all in time so we can hit our... Uh, hit our flight, or if they have to manually process it, are we going to push the crew beyond their uh, available use time, mm -hmm. and then the flight will get cancelled? Oh. The good thing but, in that situation was that we were all in the same situation, though. Like yeah. We were all there waiting in line to check in, and uh, the woman came along and said, look, there's a problem with the check-in system. We can't check anyone in. Okay, so we... It was bad, but everyone was calm because everyone was in the same situation. Definitely. So... Yeah, a lot of the stuff that's going to go wrong is going to be outside of your control. So because of that, work extra time into the schedule and make sure you have a bit of available budget to kind of pay your way out of some problems that can come up as well. Yeah, one thing we found when we were traveling from our accommodation in Athens to the airport, we planned to just take a, a metro and there was a direct line. So we got on the train we reached a certain stop and the lights went off and they said, this is the end of this trajectory. And so we had to get off the train. And the next train to the airport wasn't for 15 minutes, which is quite a long time when you think about it. Now, we had a huge buffer, so it was fine. But if we were cutting things fine and we were planning to arrive at the airport just an hour before the flight took off or something like that, this would have been a major stress. As it was, we could just sit, relax, wait for the next train to come and then head on into the airport. Yeah, we work out normally what we'd like to do, and then we add kind of 20 to 30% onto that time for the unexpected. Yeah, it does mean we normally spend maybe anywhere between half an hour to an hour sitting at the airport. That's fine. That's enough time for a glass of wine or two, maybe a cup of coffee if it's early in the morning. And just to relax on airside at a cafe near your gate after security, is the best place to sit and relax. Definitely, especially because by that point you've got your boarding pass, you're almost ready to get on the flight, you're pretty sure that everything's going to be fine at that point. There's nothing I like as much as being on the plane just before it takes off because I feel like, yes, I've got through the hardest part of the journey. I've made it to the airport, I've checked in, I've got my boarding pass, I've got my seat, 
and my bags are with me in the overhead lockers or whatever. And now I'm going. It's just, yeah, I know there's still the other half of the journey. I've still got to do the flight and then arrive at the other end, but I always feel like, yep, I'm mostly done now. That's the hard bit, eh? Yeah. I'm I'm the same. I'm like, after I'm through security, I'm a lot more relaxed. Mm -hmm. Everything up until that point is a stressor. But after I'm through security, Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, I'm going to be within 20 minutes of the gate now at at pretty much any point in most airports. And so, you know, as long as I can walk over there, I'm fine. Yeah. Now, I've had all sorts of weird and wonderful things happen on our way to the airport or an important international train. All you can do is take a deep breath and make the next available decision in front of you. But if things do go wrong, well, you know, sometimes they do. So being uh, having some kind of mental preparation for that is also useful. Yeah, I think it's important to be aware that things can and do go wrong and to accept that, to be prepared to forgive yourself for any mistake that you've made. For example, I'm sure we've talked about this one before, but we're going to the airport from a small town in Austria. So we had to catch the train from the small town into Vienna. And it was our last contract with the company that we were working for. So we were leaving Austria for for a while and I had misread the train timetable. So I thought the train left at a certain time, but actually it left half an hour before. We got there, we'd missed it, and there was a major storm. So the buffer that I thought I'd worked in was just disappeared. Everything was delayed. Everything was delayed. We got to the airport. We missed our flight. It was terrible. And it was my fault. Well, it was partly my fault. It was partly the fault of the weather as well. And I just needed to take a deep breath, calm down, accept that things can and do go wrong, and then face the situation and make decisions to, to work out what's going to happen next. Yeah, a general rule of thumb for stuff like this is to take the path of least resistance, is to make the, the decision that will make life easiest in the short term and the midterm. Mm-hmm. And so there are some potential risks around that. I'm not saying we do it non-critically. We don't just, you know, follow everything as it's laid out in front of us. But if there's two decisions that seem to be very similar in their outcomes, we'll always try and choose the easiest one. So that does a couple of things for us. It cuts down on the amount of energy that we're spending in decision-making, and hopefully it means that there's uh, a simpler path to a similar outcome. You don't want to make things overly complicated or overly tricksy or overly stressful once things start going wrong. It's bad enough as it is. Mm. I think it's important to just keep communicating. So if you're traveling with someone, keep communicating and making decisions and talking about it. If you're having a situation at an airport or or with some other form of uh, transport, then keep talking to the people in a nice way. For example, one thing that we did on one of our very first flights, we were bumped off a flight because we hadn't reconfirmed our flight or something. We didn't even realize we still needed to do that. And at the airport, they said, oh, just sit to one side. And then they promptly didn't talk to us for two hours. And eventually we went up and said, excuse me, is there something we should do? And they're like, oh my goodness. You're still here? You're still here. Why aren't you on a flight? And we're like, well, because you said you were going to come and talk to us and you didn't. And so going up every half hour or so and just checking in might have been a much wiser course, you know, in a, a polite and respectful way, not in a what's going on here kind of situation. As it was, we ended up getting on the last flight of the day separated. We didn't get to sit together, but uh, we still managed to get on our flight, which was the important part. Definitely. And I think there's a tendency for people from like rule-based countries mm-hmm. to 
go ahead and, and just do what's told. And there's a tendency from people from countries where everything's negotiable mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, to keep pushing. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to kind of realize what kind of country you're in and what the, the culture is mm-hmm. and to sometimes push out of your comfort zone, either to hold back or to, to push in and get a bit more involved than you'd like to. Sure. Okay, let's talk a little bit about on the flight. As we said before, we both feel really comfortable once we're on the flight. We feel like things are kind of going smoothly. But I know that some people are nervous flyers or maybe they don't feel so comfortable on planes. So one thing to remember is just to, again, take a deep breath, respect your fellow passengers and the staff. You know, if something's going wrong, just quietly approach one of the staff members and and talk to them about it. For example, if someone's being obnoxious, kicking the back of your seat, being uncomfortably close to you in your seat, do go and approach cabin crew. If you don't feel comfortable talking to them, you know, directly next to the person that you're worried about, then feel free to to get up while the seatbelt sign is not illuminated, of course, and walk down to the galley at the back of your section and talk to them there. And they'll be hopefully trained and competent in helping you deal with that. Yeah. One thing to be careful of is to avoid drinking too much or taking sleeping pills. When you fly, alcohol affects you more strongly than it does on the ground. So even if you're someone who believes they can hold their drinks, it's still good to ratchet back a couple of steps on that. And sleeping pills are nasty for a couple of reasons. You can have some very interesting experiences on them uh, due to the changes in air pressure and uh, how that chemically impacts the brain. It does mean, of course, if there's any kind of an emergency situation, that you're going to be groggy and out of it, and that's a danger to you and to your other passengers. So wherever possible, try and stay conscious and uh, avoid over-medicating. But on the whole, your flight's going to be fine. You're going to have a great time. It's going to go smoothly and you're going to arrive without any problems. Now, our final point is accommodation. So as I said, most of the time you're going to arrive, you'll check in or settle into your accommodation and your transit day will be over and you'll be happy. You can have a glass of wine or a coffee or a nap and celebrate being in your new destination. But we have had a few situations where we've arrived and our accommodation has fallen through for some reason or another. For example, one time we booked a hotel and our credit card didn't go through. They called us to say that our booking had been cancelled and yeah. we had to and find they, they called us as we were walking from the air bridge onto the plane. So you had about two minutes to try and negotiate something with them. That just didn't happen. They weren't interested in processing another credit card. I think they'd probably overbooked the hotel. It was just crazy. It was a bit of a stress. Another time we'd booked an Airbnb or we thought we'd booked an Airbnb and we had the address, but when we arrived, there was no one there and it turned out that she'd got the dates wrong. So that was great. Or another time we booked a hotel, we arrived and it just looked so dodgy. We did not want to stay there. And luckily it was free cancellation and we just thought, nope, we're not staying there. We're going to go somewhere else. So for this kind of situation, it's always worth having a backup plan. If you're going to be arriving late at night, then one plan could be just to make a note of a, a big brand hotel that's likely to have 24-hour reception just for the first night. It might be more expensive than you want to, to pay, but it's a backup plan, right? You're probably not going to use it. That's right, but at least you know you're going to get something that's reliable, right? Mm-hmm. 
if you know that you're going to be arriving in your destination and you're going to have cell phone data or cell phone coverage or Wi-Fi, then you probably don't even need to do that. You can just arrive and, and do a search when you arrive. And we've done that heaps of times and it's not been a problem. Yeah, it can be a good idea to have a look at your hotel in advance and note uh, kind of restaurants and cafes nearby so that if you get there and there is a problem, for example, we've arrived at quite reasonable times at night, like 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, and reception's already been shut. That has been surprising to us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've had issues like that before, but we know that, oh, on the map, just around the block, there was a restaurant, and the restaurant's probably going to be open for dinner. So at least we can go there, have a drink, maybe get them to, you know, look up some information for us, get us a contact phone number. Mm -hmm. We'll be able to sort things out. So it's nice to have, you know, it's not really about having the information. It's about having that game plan of if we get here and that happens, what's that next step? Mm -hmm. You know, what are we going to do? And thinking through some of these uh, issues around transit can just take a lot of the stress out of the situation. Yeah, definitely. So that's pretty much it. That's what we have to say about our top tips for transit days. Be prepared, uh, have a plan, take a deep breath, just be calm. One thing I didn't mention was if you're on a plane and you're a nervous flyer, then an app like Calm, meditation app, something like that might be quite helpful. Uh, But yeah, take a deep breath relax, communicate, ask for help if you need it, and you'll have a great time. Awesome. Well, we have quite a lot of transit days coming up. We've uh, finalized a lot of our plans for our EU summit. It's going to be good. We're in Barcelona for the next couple of weeks. Then we pop out to Girona and over to Porto, spend some time over in Portugal, then jump back into Spain, but into the middle, pop into Madrid, head up north into Basque Country, spend some time at the beaches, and then we'll go back over to Galicia and the beaches there for the San Juan Festival. It's going to be awesome. uh, Which will be great. From Coruña, we'll head up into the UK and we'll spend a few months visiting friends and family in the UK, hoping to fit in a hike or two uh, throughout that entire time. And yeah, it's going to be good. But yeah, there's a lot of these little transit days where we're doing one or two hour flights and we're probably going to spend more time in the airport and getting to the airport than we're actually going to spend in the air, which always seems like a bad ratio to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's us for this week. Until next time, travel well.